Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker, there, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and today with me, as always, is... I'm Hai Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And I am Anya Crittenden, a writer for Gay Star News. Alright, so the summer is winding down, and we thought we would talk about the movies that we've had this summer, because it's been a pretty interesting season of movies, far more interesting than we've seen in the last several years. Um, and then we're basing this actually on an article that HT wrote for Slash Film called Why the 2017 Summer Movie Season is the Best One We've Seen in Decades. In which is decades. A, bold, a bold statement. So HT, why don't you kind of give us the rundown? It's a bold statement, but one that I will stand by. So we've had good summer movie seasons before, but usually they're only due to one or two standout films. 2015, we had Mad Max Fury Road. Um, 2012, we had The Avengers. Yeah. Uh, 2008, we had The Dark Knight. I'm sure I'm missing a couple, but these are prime examples I'm thinking of. Wow, but that summer was really good. We had The Dark Knight, for example. But can you remember anything else that came out in 2008? Uh, Mamma Mia and Space Chimps, which premiered at the same time. I did not know that. Wow. Anyways, you wouldn't rate Mamma Mia uh, at the same level as The Dark Knight. Would you, though? Uh, <laughs> I beg to differ, Arguably, HT. in terms of <laughs> critical and commercial reception. <laughs> so, 2017 stands apart from these summers distinctly because we've just had an influx of great, consistently great movies that have been well-received by the audience and by critics. And that, I think, will mark a shift in the cinematic landscape the better. Oh, you're calling it now? I mean, I'm hoping so. I'm an optimistic person, so I'm hoping that Hollywood will take note of the bombs that took place this year. And by bombs, I'm meaning Baywatch, The Mummy, um, Transformers The Last Night. Well, Transformers The Last Night did well, but it kind of tanked domestically. I mean, critically, it was Crit- critically, one of the worst. Critically did and bad. domestically, it domestically didn't Domestically, it tanked as well. Yeah. And these were movies that were sure bets. And in the past, would have done well the box office, box office regardless of critical reception. But now we're starting to see a uh, connection between critical reception and audience interest. Yeah. Which is really exciting. And a lot of, like, studios are, like, back going back against Rotten Tomatoes. Like, mm-hmm. they, they're not a big fan of Rotten Tomatoes right now because yeah. a lot of people are checking the scores and then deciding whether or not to see the movie based on the, on the score. Yeah. To put this in layman's terms... Audiences are seeing more original, varied movies of mid-budget of the mid-budget tier. So movies like *Atomic Blonde*, *Baby Driver*, *The Big Sick*. *Dunkirk* is kind of it's an original movie. It's a high-budget film. Um, what else am I missing? A lot of those kind of films that you wouldn't expect to do extremely well at the box office, but both *Girls Trip* and *Baby Driver* beat *The Mummy* at the box office domestically. And- Let's not forget that The Mummy is supposed to launch a whole franchise. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to launch a whole cinematic universe. The Dark Universe. Yes. So this is an exciting time because we're seeing all these really great movies that are original and and well-received and critically acclaimed. And they're doing well at the box office and people want to see them. And there are more of them than ever. I've I've ranted about this before in our podcast about the disappearance of the mid-budget movie. We talked about it a lot in our rom-com episode. Rom-coms are a huge mid-budget movie that have been just gone from the the theaters for the past seven years. We haven't seen a real rom-com since maybe like Bridget Jones's Baby, and that wasn't that Which was, was just last like, year. Yeah, that was last year. But like, we haven't seen a real original one. Um, when was the last good rom-com we've seen? Because like we been talked a while. Rom of like Catherine Heigl rom-coms. Probably the closest we can have is, like, Bridesmaids. But even then, that was, like, a raunch comedy. And it was more like... No, it was a rom-com in the sense of, like, it was more about female friendships. Exactly. We haven't seen a true rom-com in a while. But, you know, the mid-budget movies were kind of disappearing because studios didn't want to bet on these kind of movies anymore. They wanted they wanted sure bets, like, franchises, like, sequels, like, cinematic universes and superheroes. Um, so you're seeing less... Fewer directors... Um, fewer auteur directors, Mm -hmm. you might say, like Steven Soderbergh, David Lynch, making movies, they're turning to TV. Although Soderbergh's coming back. Soderbergh's coming back, which I think is also an indication that studios might want to take a 
um, take a chance. Take a chance on me. Bring <laughs> it back to Mamma Mia. Yeah. Take a chance on mid-budget movies. This is exciting because there's more variety in the movies instead of just another superhero movie, another um, sequel, another animated film. But even this year, the superhero movies were really good, too. Yep. They did well, and they were also good, original, thought-provoking films, Like, I would the say. concepts and, like, you know, tried and tr- they're tried-and-true superhero movies, but... I liked how they were varied because they, they brought a freshness to it. Yeah, but I specifically point out Wonder Woman and mm-hmm. Spider-Man: Homecoming. Like mm-hmm. those two movies are very different than the than the movies in the universes that yeah. came before it. They didn't just follow the formula and genre movies too, like uh, War for the Planet of the Apes. Oh yeah, that was amazing. That really elevated like the blockbuster genre as well. So this is my argument. I believe that 2017 is not just a the best summer movie we've seen in decades, but hopefully an indicator of more diversity and more variety in movies in the movie landscape to come. Oh, I didn't even mention the big sick and that was gonna be like the capper to my rom com little topic. Yeah. But yeah, the big sick is great. Go watch it. Which we talked about. Yeah. We did. Mm-hmm. We've talked about so many of these movies over the summer, but I think they're worth talking about in this whole wrap up mm-hmm. episode we're kinda doing. Kinda like because July just had so many movies. July was packed. This summer, it at first seemed extremely weak because mm-hmm. we get we kicked it off with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, and then after that we had a string of just of clunkers like we had King Arthur, Pirates, Pirates. King Arthur, mm-hmm. Baywatch. Um, I think Transformers was a couple of weeks after Wonder Woman in June, mm-hmm. and then Wonder Woman was the first weekend in June. Uh, and then it was kind of nothing, and then July. July really. kicked off with Spider-Man, with Baby Driver. Um, Big Sick. Big Sick. The Beguiled. The Beguiled. The Beguiled Atomic Blonde. Um, Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. Uh, War for the Planet of the Apes. War for Girl's the Planet Trip. of the Apes. What? Sorry? Girl's Trip. Girl's Trip. Girl's Trip. Um, just like a soup, like, like, to the point where you had to kind of schedule, like, which, which of the great movies that you're going to see, like, on the Friday, and then go see another movie on a Saturday or a Sunday. Like, yeah, it's almost like it's almost like it's not like the greatest summer movie season. It's like the greatest July. Yeah, that, yeah. like specifically, like <laughs> exactly. it was like Guardians, blip blip blip, Wonder Woman, blip blip, and then boom, explosion. <laughs> it was like all these great movies. It was all over the place. It was very exciting. Yeah, and I I think this is a I I I agree with you that this I think this is a shift in movies because we're starting to see that these franchises that are get, that are coming into their fifth and sixth movies that or even their first one like the mummy like mm-hmm. pirates of the caribbean made a ton of movie but it was critically panned mm-hmm. and transformers bombed you know we're starting to see that these movies these these studio juggernauts are not doing as well as they used to and mm-hmm. i think it's because a people are paying attention to the type of of, of the of the critics um that they want to like you know they're starting to pay attention to like are these movies going to be good mm-hmm. and i feel like you know We've always talked about how like blockbusters are just schlock, and then like a lot of them are just not good, but they're entertaining. But you can have critically critically uh, successful movies and also be entertaining. Yeah, you can be a good movie and entertain you. Like critics aren't out to just flam movies the whole time. They right. love movies too. That's why they're in this business. So and like, yeah. and We're I here think to defend the critics too. There was exactly. a point in time where like no one cared about the blockbusters in, like, the 80s and 90s because they were just, like, bad. And, like, people talk about, like, Independence Day was just a blockbuster. But, like, it was a good movie. It it's holds up. It's really campy at yeah. some points, but it's also super fun and, like, I don't know. Will Smith well, Like a well-done movie. movie. Will Smith in that movie, I I would argue, had a career-defining performance. I'd say so, too. It, it kind of defined, like, his entertainment persona. Yeah. And it, after after his after French Fresh Prince of Bel Air, he yeah. kind of remade himself into like a Hollywood leading man after being yeah. like the fun dude on TV. He did really well in that movie. I still I will I love the scene where he you know greets the alien, welcome to Earth, and punches him. Yeah, it's an That's iconic a iconic moment. Scene. It's not just because you know oh you're not just yelling oh that was badass, but it really was charismatic and fun and just sharp. It was really snappy. Which is and this is. Ironic, considering that the sequel was just terrible. Yeah. And that came out last year, and, you know, 
2016 was a weird year for movies. 2016 was bad. It was like just like terrible hit after terrible hit. Yeah. And then, but I think I think this is a shift. This is a, a mark. Like if if I kind of wish Mad Max came out this year because then it would be part of this like strength of movies that came out. But I'm also glad it came out in 2015 because it was kind of like a, the start of a. It was kind of the start of this progression. The lone wolf. Yeah, it was kind of like the you know the scout plane, and then it saw what was ahead, and it came back to 2015 to be like, listen, I'm going to make my mark now, and then it won six Oscars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I will say the summer movie season has been a bit disappointing on the animation front. Mm. Oh, where yeah. Um, last year we had some really big hits in Finding Dory and The Secret Life of Pets, um, and they made so much money um, and they got pretty good reviews. And this year we've had Cars 3 and Despicable Me 3, which I guess also goes to your point, HT, about the franchise, mm-hmm. people being tired of that. So it's been a bit disappointing that like we've gotten original films, but not in the animation front. And I know we're getting Coco in November, which is going to be great. Excited for that. But, and don't forget, um, Despicable Me 3 is actually the fourth movie in the Despicable Me slash Minions franchise. <laughs> I've actually heard some defenders of Cars 3. Some people said that Cars 3 was mm. underrated. I've heard it's better than Cars 2, which <laughs> I've heard was just a shit show. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I, I'm not saying Cars 3 is bad. Yeah. I've heard good things about it, and I've heard good, great things about Cruz as a character. Mm-hmm. But Cars 3 made the least amount of money in the franchise. Right. And, and I think that kind of, like, you were saying, kind of tired of the franchise at this point. Like, at some point, you're like, all right, I've seen enough of this world already like yeah and i feel I want like something with, new with cars that was always that's always kind of been pixar's weird like stepchild, stepchild. yeah like it always seems it's it's always seemed a little different than everything else that they've done mm-hmm. especially cars too like that went a lot wilder and oh, is mainstream the correct term because like more commercial I more guess. commercial yeah. because like the pixar movies have always been very original pixar has been in a weird rut lately actually yeah. ever since the Good Dinosaur. Um, the Good Dinosaur. Like, they had Inside Out come out, but then after that, they had a weird creative rut. There's a great article in The Atlantic about it, how Disney has been overtaking them creatively and commercially with um, movies like Wreck-It Ralph, Frozen, um, Zootopia. Zootopia. Yeah. Uh, Moana. Zootopia. And Pixar has just kind of been stuck making sequels to their best films. Yeah. Like, I mean, Finding Finding Dory was very good, I but... I mean, I liked it. I didn't really like Finding Dory. No. No. It was cute, but not much else. I think it also depends on how much you like Dory as a character. Yeah, I mean, I like her fine, but I just didn't think that her her shtick was enough to get keep you along for a whole movie. Kind of like Joey after Friends. Yeah, although not as bad as Joey after Friends. That was pretty terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, Willoughby actually tweeted to these tweeted this article to me about how uh, alongside my article in like the Google News It was like a, someone posted a, snap, a screenshot of yeah. your article in Google versus Esquire's article mm-hmm. about yeah go ahead how es- Esquire wrote this article about how uh, 2017 was the worst summer for movies but they actually were speaking specifically about the blockbuster season and how much movies those made finan- how much how well those movies did financially, which actually complements my story pretty well um, in terms of just, like, the blockbusters and, like, the franchises were the one that, ones that were bombing unless they added something new to the um, to the formula. And that was what studios were reading as a failure. Yeah, I mean, that goes back to the whole, this is a business. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you... I, when I talk about movies, I usually talk about them critically. Yeah. I usually don't give a shit about how much money they made. Because it doesn't matter to me, but like it matters to studios, and it matters to like, it sometimes matters to like if we're gonna get more of this universe. Like Baby Driver did super well, and right after that, there were like articles like, "Is there gonna be a sequel to Baby Driver?" I'm like, I'd be okay if there was, but I'm also cool if there never was. Yeah. Because it had a good ending. Like yeah. it had like, or it had an ending that capped it off really well. Mm. Like you didn't. I don't need to see what happens to Baby in a couple couple a couple years or ever and like and edgar wright has never done a sequel either no never a direct sequel like right. the cornetto trilogy are spiritual sequels to right. each other but they're whole their original movies with 
they're never they're not set in the same universe. Right. And oh, we didn't even talk about the Dark Tower, about how that bombed, and that yeah. was like a weird thing where it was like a it was for like a niche audience, like mm-hmm. the it was a genre movie. Definitely. It was a genre movie. Yeah, I feel like August kind of ended that streak mm-hmm. that we had in July. Although Wind River came out, and that was really good. Yeah, I've heard great good mm-hmm. things uh, from you, actually. I have been, actually, <laughs> Honestly, you tweeted about it. I was like, what is this movie? And then I realized, oh, it's another ta- Taylor Sheridan movie. I really liked who it. Did, who wrote Sicario. And did he direct Hell or High Water 2? Or did he just write it? He wrote Hell or High Water 2. I'm, I'm not sure whether I'm not sure he who directed, directed it. it. But yeah. he, I believe Wind River, he wrote and directed? He wrote and directed that one, yeah. yeah. So we're getting the weird neo-western August movie from yeah. Tyler, Taylor Sheridan again. August is kind of going back to that whole dumping ground of summer trend that has been in, and we're getting a lot of good indie films that are going to fly under the radar, but otherwise the, and then the and then main releases are... Detroit, which was... Um, mixed reviews. Mixed, mixed reviews. Mostly positive on Rotten Tomatoes, or at least their their score was... It was I, think it, I think it's in the 90s, but I think... It is, But yeah. there's a lot of backlash around, like... Uh, Catherine Bigelow and whether or not she should have and Mark Bowl um, if they should have written it or mm-hmm. if someone else should have a person of color um, and like Pop Culture Happy Hour was very uh, mixed about it they were like this was a well done movie and it was intense but it was, but like there were a lot of like a lot of backlash behind it about the people who made it you know what's interesting this year there's a lot more conversation about the social relevance of movies than we've ever had before. Oh, yeah. This started with um, with Get Out, and it continued with The Beguiled and Detroit. And it's really interesting because there's definitely been an uptick in that this year. And Wonder Woman in, Wonder in, Woman one, too. in a different sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are definitely taking that into consideration when, there's, when they are uh, weighing their enjoyment of a film. And we can kind of, if we want to expand this into 2017 as a whole, for mm-hmm. like just a tiny bit, like Ghost in the Shell bomb. Mm-hmm. And because of, and mainly because of the whitewashing issue, and yeah. also the movie was like I just like it was also good. the Great Wall, the Great Wall. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of others that were like that had like the same similar issues. I think that was kind of it. Those yeah. are the two big ones. Well, we can tie this into audience interest with the summer movies and how social media and uh, reviews have definitely changed how people approach movies now. Mm-hmm. And you know because movies are expensive, so they people take more into consideration what other people are saying, reviews, those kind of things, because they can only afford maybe, like, one movie a week or one movie a month, really. Um, Like, us, we see movies all the time, but that's just because that's what we, like, like, primarily do. Yeah. And, like, that's how I usually, my primary, like, where my money goes. Yeah. um, Is to go see the latest movie. Yeah, but, like, with um, with the availability of streaming services now, people can... Want are basically want to make more of an investment in whether they're going to see a good movie. Yeah. I think. This is my opinion mm-hmm. based on just like no facts, but on a, on just observances of what this shifting digital media landscape is. Oh no, totally. I, I I'm on, I'm on that on, on board with that because this year I've seen a lot of movies, but I've also not seen a lot of movies in theaters because in my mind I'm going, oh, if I want to see th- if I, if I want to spend my movie on this movie. But I, I'm curious about this other movie. I will wait to see that on video on demand, or rent it from Redbox because I don't have either the time or the extra money to go see like these two movies like this one weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why like uh, there's a couple of movies that I'm like interested to see now. It was earlier in the in the year, but The Lost City of Z. Oh, that was good. I, like I've heard, Ooh. I heard mixed that things. That would have been it. that would have been good to see in theaters, though. Would it? It's very lush and very gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's a slow movie. <laughs> that's, that's the other thing is that you know, like, if it's gonna put me to sleep, maybe I should have seen it in theaters. Yes, mm-hmm. I would say I would have say seen it in theaters because it's just such a sweeping, magnificent movie to see. Mm-hmm. Even though like I had mixed reactions to it, I think that like it definitely would would have been worth seeing in theaters. Ooh, Lost City of Z, was that a summer movie? No, it was no, early. I was really. just mentioning it. But it was mm-hmm. like movies that are like good or possibly good that I'm not super curious. I'm, I'm curious but not like interested mm-hmm. in seeing. So I'll maybe see it like later when it's available for like four bucks to rent uh, instead of like spending like four, 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I wanted to see Valyrian in theaters, even though I know it was going to be a bomb. We actually talked about this to, last episode. I wanted to as well. We were going to make plans to see it because I had like some time on Friday, and I was like, and, and then it was out of theaters. By it the was time out we of theaters. See it. And 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 Dunkirk came out the same week, mm-hmm. and I looked, and there were still like four showings of Dunkirk at Gallery Place, and Valerian was nowhere to be seen. It's like and, how Wonder Woman was playing for like three, four months Wonder after. Wonder Woman is still playing. still playing. Yeah. There's a sc- there's a theater in DC that was playing it Friday night at 9.55 p.m. That's and awesome. I was like, damn. <laughs> well, they know if it's going to have long legs. Yeah. Like, if it's going to keep making money. Ooh, I do want to talk about a point I um, made in the article about how this has been the summer for women as well. So a lot of female-led movies have been driving the box office and also the critical acclaim mm-hmm. for movies of the summer. Uh, Wonder Woman, Girl Strip are the main ones, but uh, what other movies? The Bi- Beguiled? The Beguiled, too. It was critical. Oh, it it was, didn't make a lot of money, I don't think. It didn't make a lot of money, but I would It made decent money yeah. for an indie film. Oh, cool. Yes. And it really solidified Sofia Coppola as just a great director. So... Wonder Woman was definitely a hint to studios that you don't need a white male lead to market a successful blockbuster. Even WB took that into consideration when they showed their Comic-Con trailer for Justice League mm-hmm. because that movie, that trailer was very heavily focused All on All about Wonder Woman, Woman which like, I was happy the about. Fir- the whole first scene was Wonder Woman and then like most of the, so the rest of the trailer was like her and then Batfleck like trying to get the group together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I I'm really happy. Girls Trip too. I haven't seen yet, but um, it... Girls Trip is so good. It's one of my top films of the summer. Awesome. Girls yeah. Trip is so good. It Which was... is funny because a very similar movie, uh, Rough Night, Rough came Night. out in mm-hmm. May, and that did not do well. It didn't do well, but Girls Trip was like a huge surprise, both critically and commercially. Like it was not a it. surprise. Yeah, but surprise. I'm really studios. annoyed when people say that because yeah. I'm like, Girls Trip was gonna do well. Like, listen, I'll use white critics people saying it's a surprise no it's not queen latifah very annoyed at that mm-hmm. and jada pinkett jada pinkett queen latifah um oh i'm forgetting the name tiffany haddish was haddish regina hall yeah tiffany haddish was like the breakout star of this movie apparently have you seen that clip of her on i think it was fallon no, yes, where she tells a story about the swamp. Jimmy Kimmel. With Jada and Will. <laughs> about the swamp. It was hilarious. So it was like, she apparently got a Groupon to go see a swamp tour, and so she invited Jada Pinkett and Will Smith to go on it, and they're like, what's a Groupon? Does that mean we get a private tour? And so they were very shocked when they came, and there was like a huge group of people, and they're like, why are all these people here? <laughs> they didn't understand the concept. It's. Oh, I'm not telling it as well as she did. I would recommend going watch it, because it's a hilarious It's hilarious. Story. Yes, and like... And it's just... Yeah, and the movie itself is just so great and heartwarming and, like, female friendship and female empowerment, and I, it's a really fun film. I love when there are films about women who love each other and don't try to take each other down. It's great that we have these kind of films because there's still, there's still random movies coming out that have women competing with each other in these rom-coms, which are very disappointing. There's a movie coming out with, like, um... Alexandria Daddario. I saw a trailer for that. Yeah. And Kate Upton in there. Basically, the whole movie is then, like, they're on a layover, and they see this guy who's also on the layover with them, and they're just, like, trying to, like, like, take... Compete for him. Compete for him. But do you know what looks like a cute possible rom-com this fall? What? Home Again, the Reese Witherspoon movie. Oh, I saw a trailer for that. And... I actually haven't seen that. It looks really cute. That movie seemed a little atonal to me like i'm not sure what like what they were going for if it was supposed to be funnier than they made it to be or more serious i'm not entirely sure it, it i think it's meant to be something like, like um do you guys see the family stone yes i've heard of it which i love which is like part family drama part rom-com like funny but dramatic i think home again is supposed to be sort of that kind of tone and i think it looks really cute and i'm excited for what you were saying ht like the mid-budget just like fun, feel-good movie again. Movies that are different than your garden variety franchise movie. Just anything. You know know what I just realized? We haven't talked about? Alien Covenant came out in May as well. Yeah. Which was awkwardly divided by critics. It actually has a fairly good review on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Although this was not a point that I made so much in my article, but David Ehrlich wrote something similar about how... um, 
the summer movie season, season was great. He said in in cen- this century, which is even a bolder statement than mine. That's, that's 17 years. Yeah. So, although I guess that's kind of less than mine. I said decades. Yeah, it's I was really like, vague. decades is like, that could go back to like the 90s. <laughs> so, we haven't, had a, we haven't had a summer movie season this good since 1977. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Ehrlich said in his article that even the blockbuster bombs were interesting. Mm-hmm. So, Covenant. Um, he talked about Valyrian, and he kind of mentioned Book of Henry. So he was just like, these were messes, but they were kind of interesting, hot messes. Oh, yeah, Book you of would... Henry was his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, Alien Covenant and Valyrian were both trying to do something, at least, something interesting, something ambitious. It didn't completely work, mm-hmm. but it was something that could be said, something more to be said than just, like, The Mummy, which tried to reboot a movie from the 90s that was... And not even that, just start a, a franchise. Start a franchise really messily, like, yeah. And this is apparently the, if if we take into account Dracula Untold, this is the second time they've tried to start this universe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, his point was really interesting about how these movies were ambitious and they were um, singular, but in, even, even though they didn't do well critically or commercially, at least they tried something, which <clears> is, <throat> I think... They weren't bland. Yes. They did something yeah. different, which I'm all for. So I have a question for you guys because I've actually had um, a bit of a problem with movies this year. Okay. Um, so I agree with everything you're saying, HD, like all of it. Um, but I had a problem sort of like retaining like memories? focus on movies after I see them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's partially because, honestly, I think part of it's the news. I think it's just overwhelming right now. And I really love um, NPR's uh, Linda Holmes, her comparison with The Martian and, like, why movies and entertainment is still good right now. You guys remember that? No. I haven't seen oh, okay. that, Okay, no. Linda Holmes had this great point where someone was like, you know, right now things are really serious and, like, movies are just, like, escapism and they're not productive. And she made a comparison to The Martian and she was like, on the, in The Martian, he had to grow potatoes to survive and she made the comparison that like potatoes wouldn't get him back to earth but they would keep him alive long Mm. enough to get him to the point where he could go back to earth and that's what movies are doing is they're like giving us like sustenance and that kind of like just like escapism and emotional self-care yeah self-care that we need that we've talked about before but I'm finding it really hard I think this summer or just this year with just all the news, and I think also just all the media, like with television and books coming out and like movies, and I feel like I see a movie and then I'm just on to the next thing immediately because you try and keep up. And so I've been having that problem with movies and that I'm like finding it hard to just like keep them with me. And I feel like I let go of them too quickly. I... I know I can see what you're saying, Anya. I think I have like the same thing, although um, I think it definitely is because of the news cycle and the media cycle. This year has felt like the longest year ever, and not just like in the movie news world. It feels like it's been forever since January when Trump was inaugurated and like everything went to shit. And I definitely feel like you know we we use movies as as a sustenance, and sometimes you know we can retain it if we want to continue discussions about it or if it really means something special to us, but sometimes it really is just there to help us keep going. And I think it's fine. I think it, um, for me, I really enjoy all these movies and I really like retain them and want to keep talking about them. But for others, if they, if that doesn't work for them, if it just like is another blip, like good blip in this horrible cycle of news that has been this year, then that's fine. I do think yeah. that, yeah, social media has played a huge part in that. And yeah, I think my problem more so is that, like, I don't want them to just be good blips. Like, mm-hmm. I want to retain them. Right. And I'm struggling with, like, how to do that because I feel like everything is just so overwhelming. I think unplugging and, would be good, honestly. Yeah. Just, it's, as much as I was, as, as I was uh, complimenting social media before for, getting people more aware of good movies, it can be really overwhelming. And I think that... Yesterday, I had to, t- I had to turn off Twitter. Yeah. 
yeah, same. I, every time I, I went on Twitter, it was just an awful flurry of news. We're talking about, of course, the Charlottesville um, march. I won't call it that. Like the white supremacist, white supremacist rally, rally and yeah. protests and, you know, attacks and everything that happened in Charlottesville, Virginia. And, um, yeah, it was awful. And, like, I felt bad because, you know, I wanted to be on top of this news and yeah. show my solidarity for it. But at the same time, every time I went to Twitter, it was just more a barrage of more and more bad things and i think you know movies can serve as escape from that but also it can it can become a weird prioritizing issue you know well you kind of have to see if you can compartmentalize things yes and if and try and like with me i have been retaining I, i think i've been retaining these movies like get out and logan have stayed with me this entire these entire years they're two of my favorite movies get out year. especially for me yeah so oh, yeah get out um, wonder woman was the one for me honestly wonder woman does yeah. like um like i've thought but then there's movies like i saw power rangers and i just did that because i had time and i was curious about year. it but i'm not gonna buy the blu-ray mm-hmm. it's just like that was like two hours of time that i just wanted to you know it was it was after I saw the cherry blossoms with my girlfriend and she was like I'm not gonna go see Power Rangers you can and I was like okay mm-hmm. so I went and then I was like and she like went to go take a nap and then I was like okay so Power Rangers I saw it this was good but you know there's like two moments in it where I where I think about it and then I keep moving on whereas like I don't know, Logan was really powerful and you know uh, Fast and Furious had some good moments but like it was you know I I could see what I can totally see what you're saying Anya where like these movies some of these movies might just kind of are like you know tears in the rain or something or like just like completely gone from your from like your consciousness about because of the news um I'm trying to like compartmentalize my like intake of this kind of shit um because there's only so much media you can take and there's only like you know if you're I you know my like advice I guess to people if you're trying to do like self care, it's like if you're if you have plans and you don't need to look at your phone, like just don't. Cause or like you know if you have like no notif- like news notifications on, maybe put your phone on do not disturb. I took off all my news notifications. Yeah, it just I don't even have them from CNN or anything. Yeah, it's like I I did that a while ago. I think I did that in 2015 where I just I um I like undid the the CNN app on my phone because mm-hmm. a I was getting a lot of breaking news alerts I didn't need to know about mm-hmm. or like you know things that just didn't concern me and then it just got worse yeah um so it's just one of those like weird things where if you I mean there's a difference between like putting your head in the sand and then taking some time to not look at the at the news or the or social media for a little bit right and we talked about this in our self-care episode right it becomes an unending cycle and you need sometimes just to take a break from that cycle. Like, it's it's good to stay informed, but it's also good to get away from it for a little bit and mm-hmm. maybe go see a movie or watch some TV. Go see a good movie. There are plenty of them out in theaters. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, like, so many. you know, I, you know, there's, there's always, like, if you feel like you need to see a movie a second time to, like, un- to, like, keep it in your head or something, you know, you can always, like, get it on Blu-ray or VOD. Yeah. And be like, oh, okay. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good capper to our summer movie season discussion. Do you guys want to add anything? Um, just that this movie season, I mean, yeah, it was really. I I hope it wasn't abnormal. I hope it's the start of something. I think it I is. Hope so too. Yeah, I hope Agreed. that. Like that High School Musical song. <laughs> the start that... of something new. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Anya, why don't you go first this week? What do you really like? I was not prepared. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So <clears throat> this fall, um, there's a new book coming out um, next month, actually, that I'm really excited about. And it's called... Ink and Paint, The Women of Walt Disney's Animation. Mm-hmm. And it's by um, historian and professor, film buff, author, um, Mindy Johnson. And so it's all about the women who worked in the studio, like even back in the heydays before Snow White, um, and really helped the studio get off the ground. Um, and, you know, they're often overlooked because women in history always are. 
And so this past week, there was a panel at the Academy here in Los Angeles um, to basically highlight the book and just have a presentation on these women in animation history. And it was really something else. Um, it was part presentation of just like the history of women in the animation industry. And then there was a discussion with the women who were there and the women on stage <clears throat> went back from women who worked on Sleeping Beauty and Snow White wow. to, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, to the first co-head of animation, uh, first female co-head of animation in a Disney film, which is Amy Sneed, who worked on Moana. So just let that sink in that Moana was the very first film that had a female head of animation huh. in Disney's history. That was um, last year. Yeah. Um, but it was a really remarkable night just hearing all these women talk about, you know, their work in Disney and all everything that they did and everything that they helped make come to life. And you never hear about them. You know, you only hear about like Disney's nine old men and all the male directors, and the male artists. And, you know, they would have been nowhere without these women. And so the panel was just really great. Um, it was my favorite thing. It was basically animation and badass women. So, like, what more could I ask for? Um, and I'm really excited for the book. It comes out September 5th, and it looks incredible. It's called Ink and Paint, The Women of Walt Disney's Animation. And just really excited to highlight women and everything that they do. So that's what I'm really liking. Cool. That sounds really exciting. Willoughby, yes. would you like to go next? I can. I will. Um, so we were talking about social media earlier and how it's a double-edged sword. And I'm going to talk about the, the sword part that is good. And that's um, – there was a, a recent trend this week of, like, Twitter memes of, like, your favorite like, – kind of like your top five of blank. Yes. Or, yeah. And, there were, and then there was one where it was, like, um, uh, quote, tweet with your uh, most, like, unpopular – plot line decision in it and the one was that was really interesting was um backlash to or not backlash a response to someone saying that rachel and joey on friends was their most their like most uh like or it was why rachel and joey should be together right and it was in a response to someone uh someone starting off this like uh quote tweet with your least favorite plot line of, oh, of a sitcom. I didn't know and, that was the start of it. Well, that was the start of it, and then it was a response to that one. Say, and it was this 100-tweet thread about why Rachel and Joey and friends should have gotten together instead of Rachel and Ross. And I know a lot of people have disagreements about Rachel and Joey. I believe, HT, you were not a fan of that development. But the chemistry was not there. But I liked what, like, the underlying themes that this right. Twitter essay, I guess, brought to the forefront which was a ross is the worst and b he's like a typical nice guy trademark you know like situation and joey had is like the underrated like super well done character arc of like you know learning about his feelings and for rachel and it wasn't super it wasn't superficial like there were a lot of things about their relationship that this twitter essay explained that it wasn't just like oh, we're going to put them together for the sake of, you know, a, a roadblock to the Ross-Rachel endgame. And it was, in a sense, that, because in the end, they did, Ross and Rachel, she got off the plane. Uh, <laughs> um, the worst. And, you know, we can argue about whether she should have, and I believe she should stay, stay stayed in Paris and gone off and, you know, lived That life. should have been the spinoff, not Joey. right. But I liked what they what they said about how like the Ross, I mean the Rachel and Joey relationship w like developed a lot differently. And if they a had made that like th like them get together in the end, and maybe he goes off to Paris with her or whatever, because he's very not tied down to anything. Mm -hmm. um, he could have gone off, and if they had stayed together, um, it would have been a fascinating like switcheroo in the sitcom genre. With like you know, it was always from the start. The will they won't they of Ross and Rachel. Sam and Diane. Sam and Diane, like you know, are these? And then along the way, you get Monica and Chandler. The best couple. Honestly, the does. best couple. The best. But then Rachel and Joey was kind of subversion of that trend because it's like Joey was always like the superficial ladies' man, and he is, but he's also like got a lot of, a lot of 
good depth of character that Ross just doesn't. I've been actually rewatching a lot of Friends recently. So this have week. I actually. Uh, I started around same. I start. <laughs> I started with uh, the wedding of Ross and Emily. I've been watching ever since uh, Chandler and Monica got together because I'm Chandler. No, no, I'm on the couch. That, was, that yeah. was my reasoning too. Was wanted, like, I wait, that's to start when with... I started. Oh my god! Oh, yeah. so I started with the wedding of Ross and Emily because that's when they got to, when yeah, Monica and Chandler got together, and with then I've just yes, I've yeah. just been watching that those seasons. Me too. <laughs> guys, <laughs> guys, where are you? Because I just finished. I'm at the wedding of Monica and Chandler. I just passed um, the wedding, so I'm at the part where where they got back from their honeymoon okay so i'm like gonna finish that today mm-hmm. but <laughs> this is great really funny. So and it was kind of it because i was like because of that rachel joey thread i was like i want to go back and watch some some past episodes of seinfeld i mean not seinfeld friends what am i talking about <laughs> wow and, rude willoughby <laughs> i'm sorry i got a lot of 90 sitcoms up in the air um and like it was just so such an amazing and just like the thread the twitter thread was so well written and I did like, like so she, funny. I did like what she had to say about how Joey and Rachel mutually benefited each other. Like they yeah. made each other better people. Um, whereas Ross and Rachel, Ross was always trying to take Rachel down. Yeah. Like he always was trying to um, like block her career. Almost. Block her career, make like, her feel stupid. Yeah, like he was he always, not a good. He always person. saw himself as a savior to her because like she was always the waitress or like the girl that he had a crush on in right. high school. Whereas Rachel's arc through friends is like one of the best arcs the character arcs of Rachel all of them. Was great. Yeah, yeah, like she started off as, you know, a spoiled tempered brat and then went on to become from being a waitress to becoming like a, a fashion exe- like executive. executive. At yeah. And like that's amazing. That is such good character development. And yeah. Ross the whole time is trying to take her down because he always saw himself as superior and smarter to her. Yeah. And you could see like with Joey, like when she moved in with Joey they had, they always had like a lot of fun together. Yeah, like, like it was always like there was a moment where uh, Phoebe got Joey drums mm-hmm. to drive out Rachel to come back and move in with uh, Phoebe, and they just looked like they were having a blast. Yeah, like he made her less uptight, and she made him, I guess, grow as a person. Grow as a person, yeah. More. Less I mean, shallow. yeah. Watching Joey take care of like pregnant Rachel, like there was an episode where she like had she was like having pains or like cramps or whatever and he like took her to the emergency room and like like was there for her joey is a good person he ross is. is not he, ross is so terrible. and then chandler's just kind of i'm doing my own thing yeah can i be more bland no he's it's good. funny because chandler kind Chandler. of started off a little terrible too yeah he they were all kind terrible. of like he's kind of the in-between of ross and joey because, you know, he wanted to have a good time, as Joey did, but then he kind of had some of the superiority that Ross had. But then his he really changed once he got together with Monica as oh, well. Yeah. Like, Their proposal is so beautiful, it. I cried. Yeah, like, at the beginning of the relationship, like, how he was always afraid of commitment and, you know, he could not really deal with adult, like, situations well. And she really changed him in that regard, and he just, like, really complimented her neuroses. It was so great. I love Vondler, guys. I love Vondler. Vondler's the best. Mm -hmm. It's one of those interesting things where, like, some of the comedy of Friends really doesn't hold up. Like, Mm -hmm. there is a lot of just, like, sort of, like, no homo. Yeah, a lot of gay panic. There's a lot of gay panic. The episode where Joey and uh, Ross uh, fall asleep, the naps, was like, ooh. And then uh, there's a a lot of weird stuff going on with Chandler's dad. Uh, yeah. around the wedding I was like ooh this is not holding up well at all yeah so some of it doesn't hold up well but like what always brings me back to friends is that like at the core the characters and like their friendships and their support for one another and also that cast is so good like I might hate Ross but David Schwimmer is so funny he's hilarious the Christmas armadillo the holiday armadillo hilarious he has great comedic timing my mm-hmm. god yeah they all do so like pivot, man friends Pivot is so good. Man, I'm just happy, Willoughby, that that thread, like, brought us all back to Friends. Yeah, That's like, so I was like, okay, I gotta go back and rewatching Friends. You know, I actually had been rewatching Friends before that thread came along, oh, cool. and I was like, oh, what coincidence. And then you guys started all at the same time as me, yeah. so that's so funny. And we're all, like, in the same seasons area. I know. I don't know. It's, <laughs> so you know, I've been kind of rewatching The Sopranos, but it's hard, like we were saying earlier, to, like, compartmentalize, like, media. And I was mm-hmm. like, Sopranos is dark. Friends and, like, is just... Friends is good, like... That's why I've been I I've rewatched like Parks and Rec and New Girl and like all these like great sitcoms 
like in, on Netflix or on Hulu, like Brooklyn Nine Nine as well. And I was like, you know what? I should go back and rewatch some Friends because with Friends you can really kind of just pick it up at any season mm-hmm. and just watch it. It's like why it's why they syndicate it on TBS and like show like three hours of Friends yeah. or like on Nick at Night. Like it's because you can just kind of it's. It's, just, it's junk food, but it's not terrible. Yeah, you can just join in and sit with your favorite friends. Ah! Whenever you And they want. always try to, like, say the word friend or friends, like, in every episode. Do they? Yeah. I haven't noticed that. I noticed that. You should make a, a Tumblr tallying back. God, I would die. That's not, like... back, back in college, uh, Willoughby did created a Tumblr called How I Met Your Mother in Star Wars. Or, mm-hmm. like, yeah. And he tallied every time there was a Star Wars reference in How I Met Your Mother. Yep, I, I would take a screenshot, Amazing. and I would do, like, an episode. I would do, like... Uh, episode name and uh, like season number and episode number and title and it got it was actually a pretty popular blog on mm-hmm. tumblr it was like my side blog um and i st- i started a rewatch in 2013 and that's when i did it and then i followed up with each season when they when it came on netflix and then i did the last season and so it was like a good three-year project which was weird. It was very good. And because like I would go back, I would wait until the seasons were all out on Netflix, and then I'd go back and do it instead of doing it like while they were broadcasting live because mm-hmm. it was hard to like do screen caps. Right. Um. Because it because CBS goddamn never streams their shows unless it's on CBS.com. Now they have CBS CBS All Access. Yeah, but CBS it's still terrible. Yeah. It's not. It's I'm, you know commercials after commercial. I'm worried about Star Trek Discovery. Me too. Well, that's a discussion for September. Yes. <laughs> um. But yeah, I guess you know, we hit, we went on like a tangent of Friends, but I mean, Friends is so Friends good. Friends is good. Friends is like if you're, it's like my mom wonders like, why are you watching Friends? It's like because it's fun. Yeah. Like it's escapist fun. Yeah. Hanging with your favorite friends. Yep. Okay. Okay. You go. My really like this week is something I mentioned a little earlier in the episode, Wind River. Ooh. It's been the new movie, uh, written and directed by Taylor Sh- Sheridan the uh, writer of Hell or High Water. Which was a great movie, which so if you guys good. haven't seen Hell or High Water, go and watch it. And Sicario, and it's sort of the thematic sequel to both of them in terms of being like the neo-Western that explores the forgotten, quiet desperation of forgotten Americana. But not in a MAGA way. Not in a MAGA way. Although, it's interesting because Hell or High Water kind of explores that sort of sub- that community yeah. that would have voted for Trump. But they're not terrible people. It's not political. It's not political. It's definitely just like it's more about, about the economic it desperation. It actually is about economic anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's all economic anxiety, but done really well and in like a Western thriller sort of way. Mm-hmm. Wind River was definitely more of like a almost revenge thriller, but sort of substituting that revenge plot with closure about grief and, um, you know, loss. It's really interesting. Fascinating. Yes. So Who stars like, in it? My boy, Jeremy Renner. <laughs> I still like him, even though he's an asshole. He's, he said some he's weird things on everyone's Netflix. least favorite son. But you know, other than being kind of a fratty fuck boy, he's not super problematic, which is what I can say for the most part for him. I still love him though. He can really, he really can deliver a monologue, and he delivers some great ones in in Wind River. He gives a really great subtle performance in Wind River that holds the movie together. Poor Elizabeth Olsen was good, but she kind of wasn't given as much to do as, like, Emily Blunt and Sicario, for example. And she has a very similar character type to Emily Blunt in that movie. But I love Wind River a lot. It definitely has that sort of moody, um, like, economic anxiety thing, except set in, um, I think it was Wisconsin? It's, like, snowy. It's very snowy. It's very, like, Fargo-esque. But it's, like, yeah, the Midwest... Um, on an Indian reservation called Wind River. So it has, like, that whole uh, extra layer of, you know, the... Um, Dealing the, with the Americans' oppres- past. The, um, the oppression of Native Americans and how a lot of them have to deal with, have, you know, missing women in that community that aren't reported and, you know, the drugs and um, debt that a lot of them fall into. Uh, it kind of is, like, neatly wrapped into this, you know, like I said, revenge thriller package, but I think it's still done pretty well and, like, gets its message across. It's a good movie. I Com- recommend it. Uh, compared to Sicario, which was directed by Denis Villeneuve mm-hmm. and Hell or High Water, like, of the these three, uh, how does it hold up to the other two? I think it stands up pretty well to the other two. It's surprisingly more optimistic than the other two are. There's less of a nihilistic factor to it, which makes it a little bit more crowd-pleasing. Mm-hmm. 
but I still enjoyed it nonetheless. Do you think it'll get like the script or like like how is the like Taylor I, Sheridan has mainly just been a writer. Yeah. How how it had the script hold up? Script is good. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it completely stood out as well as like Hell or High Water or Sicario even did. It's a solid movie, mm-hmm. but I can't really see it getting Oscar buzz. Maybe some for Jeremy Renner because he was phenomenal in this movie. Um, maybe screenplay. It yeah. was pretty well written. Because so. like Hell or High Water had Jeff Bridges, and then I think mm-hmm. it got Best Picture. Yeah. And then it got Best Screenplay. I don't know. This year is pretty strong in terms of like not even just like the summer, like you're saying, but uh, earlier movies becoming Oscar contenders. So I don't see it become even becoming a Best Picture mm-hmm. nominee. It might yeah. get a couple lower maybe, nominations. Yeah, I could see it maybe getting a screenplay nod, um, but I don't think it was particularly that strong. Cool. But it was good. Yeah. I still really enjoyed it. Like, halfway through the movie, I turned to my mom, who I watched it with, and I was like, this is a good movie. And I, I had that, like, sort of feeling when I was watching, like, this is a good movie. I'm really happy I can see a good movie again, mm-hmm. which is, like, not that rare again this summer. I was just like, I have that feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. It always pleases me to see a good movie and realize it halfway through. Nice. Mm-hmm. I yep. recommend it. Cool. It's out in very limited release, at least in D.C. Yes. It's only playing in four theaters. It's playing in two theaters in Virginia. Surprisingly, the local mall, Tyson's AMC, showing it, which mm-hmm. is a very large theater. AMC does show independent films, uh, like, because a lot of AMCs, at least the megaplexes, are, like, mm-hmm. the 18 theaters, so they can right. afford to show a smaller one. Mm-hmm. I saw Ex Machina at AMC. Oh. Yeah. Very cool. So, um... All right. Well, that is our episode. If anyone has any thoughts on the summer movie season or Wind River or Friends or women in animation, definitely come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is Millennial Falcon Movie. A Millennial Falcon... What is it? Millennial Falcon... Mil- the Millennial Falcon, Falcon Podcast at WordPress.com. Sorry. That's <laughs> weird. Uh, and our uh, SoundCloud, you can see, uh, search for us there. Um, we're also on iTunes and Google Play, where you can rate, review, and subscribe to us. And where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right, thanks for joining us, guys. Bye! Bye. <laughs>